Welcome to another episode of Fast Women. I am Eileen. And I am Nicole. And we are talking about disruption in the auto industry. Yes. Woohoo! Disruption for good. Like, we should be very clear, because there are disruptive people in the auto industry. <clears throat> Elon Musk. <clears throat> but, like, <laughs> disruption for good. Yes. Like, like, people who are making positive impacts, positive changes, and have, you know, done it in the last year. Right. Let's say. So not just like making big statements. Right. This is for the disruptors who have taken things that have sort of been going along the way they have been and said, wait, we're going to change this and we're going to change these things and it's going to be for the better and move the industry forward. So these are good disruptive things. Good disruptive things. And so this is all tied into Newsweek's World's Greatest Auto Disruptors 2023 Awards. Here the cheers and Yay. applause and woo, confetti okay. and things like that. Yay! Okay, so let's talk a little bit about disruption in the auto industry, Nicole. You yes. and I, overarching theme this year, have been talking a lot about things like chip shortages and connectivity and electric vehicles. And I feel like this year... 2023 is when we are going to see electric vehicles go more mainstream. I feel like we've been headed in that direction. I feel like this is the year where the average customer starts to really consider electric vehicles. What say you? No, I agree. And I think part of the reason for that is there was such a small selection of EVs at one point, and many of them were really expensive. And the average person is not going to spend $80,000, $90,000 on any car. So you had a very limited number of people who could afford to get into one, and there wasn't a great variety of them. You know, Would you like a sedan or would you like a smaller sedan or maybe a compact crossover that's it you didn't have this great variety now you're getting it's it's going out across all of them you're going to have you know three row suvs that are affordable you've got crossovers you've got sedans you've got some that are more sleek and sort of sports coupe kind of looking things coming out so you're getting a range of evs for every consumer in terms of what they need and also for every consumer in terms of price and that makes it something that anybody can buy so yeah they go mainstream I do think that's a big deal. And now that we've kind of got the the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, which feels like that was like two and a half years ago. I know. I know it wasn't, but it feels like it was so long ago. Now that those terms are kind of settling, we're seeing actually how much customers will have to pay, how much you're going to get back as a tax refund. And it's not at all cut and dry, but it does feel like there's more clarity to the situation now. And it does feel like we're going to see these, you know, the Equinox EV, the Chevy Equinox EV. The Chevy Equinox is a very popular vehicle. Mm-hmm. And for good reason, it's a really decent vehicle. Yeah. But- to have an EV version that comes out at the same price or lower than most of the trim levels of the Equinox, traditionally powered Equinox, that's a big deal for people. It is a big deal. And I think that's part of it, too, is that instead of having something like a, you know, a brand you don't know, let's just and I love Lucid, but I'm going to throw them out there instead of having a Lucid that you may not know. We're having a Chevy with a brand that, you know, and a vehicle that, you know, which makes it a little less like, OK, as I'm taking the move to EVs, I'm doing it with something that's sort of already there's a certain amount of comfort and comfortableness when you're used to it. That makes it easier to look at and go, okay, this is just the next iteration. It's not something as out there. So it's a little bit easier for the average consumer to accept that as being something like, yeah, anybody can drive this. It's not just for the exclusive few. I think that plays a lot into what you and I have talked about before, especially with the Nissan Aria and some upcoming vehicles that we can't quite talk about yes. yet. But you have to have vehicles that come out where the consumer looks at what they have now. Say they're driving a Nissan Murano and they say, I want to do an EV and they get in the Nissan Aria and it has to be a natural move. For them it has to not be this absolute shell shock of an experience and and that's kind of where we're at now is we're starting to see that variety it's not just you know jumping i mean jumping into a tesla if you are not familiar with a tesla is a big jump especially for somebody who's not as you know electric vehicle savvy as say you and i are right and so there are having people those early adopters who went in you know gangbusters into it but the larger population are not early adopters. It's the population where they still call and say, Nicole, how do I set my DVR? Yeah. Nicole, show me <laughs> how to update my iPhone. Right. Like, and it's not necessarily just our parents. Like we have peers that do that. Yeah. So there are, there are generations in there that are not as tech savvy, but want to make that electric vehicle leap. And so this is doing that for them. So I feel like this year we're really going to see that. And into next year, I think 2023, 2024, you're going to see that market share rise because of the variety of vehicles. I agree. I think it's going to be a big change and I think it's going to be a positive one. The only one that I think is going to be a challenge for all that is the charging network, which we're still working on. Uh, If you could see me, my eyes rolled the minute she said (laughs) charging network because it is just so bad. And that's not something that's going to happen overnight. I mean, that's 
it was funny. We were driving back from the Aria program and I had a driver who I know he he delivers cars to my house here. He's wonderful. And he was asking me about infrastructure Mm -hmm. and what the real world costs are and things like that. And, you know, I was talking to my dad and and, and it was like the same sort of conversation. My dad was like, you know, they allocated 50 million. And I was like, okay, do you know how many chargers that actually is? That's not that many for an entire state. Like, unless it's Delaware. Like, like there's very few (laughs) states. Like Delaware, Rhode Island. (laughs) But yes, there's things like that where, you know, like the real world cost and things like that. And I do hope that there is a more or eye opening experience for people. Like, I I think that they do need to see the infrastructure network because we talk about it. We talk about it. But the more people actually get in electric vehicles, I think there'll be a bigger push for it. Now, what whether that means privatization or anything else, that's a totally different story. Not talking about that here. But there is a lot to do with the charging network for sure. And that's that's not even on my points list to make (laughs) today. But like the charging network's just like an overarching like, oh, sort of point (laughs) to it. Like just not good. Right. Not good. Like causes me to like have a cocktail. Not good. (laughs) Um, but not while you drive and not while you're charging. Okay. So the next point, and this is one that our friend Tyson Jomini from JD power made is he talked a lot about asymmetrical change and asymmetric change. And what I read from his notes that he sent me was that this means that at some dealers, you're going to see like a lot of one car on the lot, but not a lot of a different type of car on the lot, even though they're under the same brand. You're not going to see like all trucks come back at the same time. You're not going to see all trim levels come back or even have availability like we did before. So there's a lot of change there and it's asymmetric. It's not the same across every single brand, even within like, say, all of General Motors. Mm -hmm. It's not it's not the same across a brand. It's not the same across even a vehicle lineup or depending on what additional features are available in trim A, B, or C, they might be able to get exactly what they need to build trim B, but there's issues with C. So you're going to have to wait a little bit. And it's not even necessarily what the automakers have planned. You, you know, in talking to them, you do sometimes find that they had planned to have the entire lineup, poof, all here pretty much at exactly the same time. And then suddenly it's like, no, wait, we're going to get you this in June, but the other's going to be delayed late summer. And it is not on purpose. It's supply chain issues. It's still getting things sort of evened out after all that, after the pandemic, and it's going to take some time. It's not the same sort of delivery. It's not the same level playing field that it was three or four years ago. And I think, too, with that comes the fact that you're not going to necessarily see these wide sweeping deals talking about like on commercials, you'll see like all Silverados or all Chevys, all Chevys, not Silverados, all Chevys, 0.9 percent APR financing. Like, you're just not going to see that. It's going to be, you know, you can get 0.9% if you got great credit and on this trim level, maybe because they've got a lot of that trim level sitting around, but it's not going to be necessarily for everything else. And the same with deals. I mean, if they've got a bunch of one trim level and two of another, and you want the one that's got two, you're probably going to pay a little bit. You might pay above MSRP or MSRP for that one. Because it's just the scarcity. It's the economics of scarcity. And that's increasingly what happens. And it frustrates the daylights out of consumers when they have to pay more than MSRP. Because what we've all been used to for years and years and years is you haggle down that price. Whatever that price is on that sticker, if you're doing your job as a consumer, you're going to haggle it down to something lower. Well, maybe, maybe you are. If it's a vehicle they're trying to get off the lot, if it's last year's model, or if there's, like you said, a ton of it. But a lot of the times, like, no, there's not room to haggle. In fact, we've got 15 other people who want this and are all willing to pay three, four, five, six, seven above sticker, and they're going to take that margin. You know, and for people who get very frustrated by that, and I totally understand that, you know, you can always try going to a different dealership and you can always try shopping around. You know, there's more than one place to go, but it is a part of the nature of the landscape. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. I don't either. And I feel like ordering vehicles has become more of a standard. I think that people are, that, I mean, that's what they do in Europe. That's what they do in other countries. And I feel like that's something that Americans are getting used to very slowly over the last few years. And I think it's an easy leap. I mean, if you know, and I'm not talking about people who have like reserved a Bronco and still haven't gotten it or reserved a Maverick and still haven't gotten it. I'm right. talking about like, you want this particular color trim level interior scheme of a RAV4. Okay. Well to get one, it's going to take nine weeks. Okay. I can, I know nine weeks, my car that I ordered, which is, you know, I might pay MSRP for it. I might pay a little bit low below MSRP. It is showing up, right? Like it is mine. I am building it. And I think that there's something to that. We talked about, like, I remember you and I, like maybe five or six years ago would be at presentations. They'd be like, people don't want to actually own cars. And I'm like, no, I think people actually like, especially when you talk about personalizing them or ordering them, right. I think that creates even more of a connection to your car. You want to own your car. And when you can when you can get a car and you can say, this is exactly 
what I want. I don't want that feature. I want this feature. When you can customize it to a certain degree, it does make it more yours and you are more, you're more vested in it. And it also creates in the end for both the consumer and for the automaker, a better experience. Because if you really wanted that car years ago and you said, okay, but they don't have one with heated seats. I guess I just won't get heated seats. You're always going to be a little sad. You don't have those when it's freezing cold in January. Now you're like, no, I want one with heated seats. I ordered it. I get it. You're happy. They got exactly the car they want for you. So now you're happy with Ford or GM or Jeep, whoever it is. And so you have a better experience and now they have someone who likes their car better. So you're that much more likely to go with them again. So it's a win-win to get exactly the car that you want. And so you, you, you're happy not just with the brand, you're happy with the dealership. But let's talk a little bit about connected cars because some of the stuff that's coming in connected cars means less visits to the dealership. Now, my car dealership, one of the best in the country as far as I'm concerned, but having to see them only, you know, twice a year for an oil change, not, I, I'm good with that. You're I'm perfectly okay. happy with that. Nobody wants to have to go into the dealership more than they have to, even if they love their dealer. I mean, you don't want to spend the time and the energy and the money and the planning. And if your schedule changes and how do you get to work if you don't have your car, like there's a million things to consider. So anything that can make it possible for you to avoid a trip to the dealership, you're going to take. Now, I know dealerships aren't super keen on that because if they're in there to give you some kind of maintenance update or whatever, that's their opportunity to go, hey, you also, we checked, you know, they have their whatever 30 point checklists and such, and they can look down and say, hey, we noticed this thing that you might need to have replaced or repaired, which is good in terms of keeping your car maintained, but bad in terms of your wallet. Well, you know, so there's there's a trade-off there, but in terms of just ease and convenience, way easier for the consumer to rely on over-the-air stuff for as much as they can rather than having to go into the dealership. It does create an overall more positive experience, I think. I agree with you. And a lot of that is because of 5G. 5G is enabling all this connectivity that wasn't before, um, whether it's connecting cars with infrastructure or cars with each other or cars with, say, they're like, say, Ford or Chevy or whatever their brand hub is, or, you know, connecting to navigation software that gets updated automatically, their apps within the car, all of those things those are software things, but we're also going to start being able to update hardware, update maybe braking, update drive modes, update range for your battery. I mean, you can do that right now with an, a battery range. Polestar has just done this if you for an update. So there's all these things that over the air updates and a car that is sitting in your driveway overnight, not being driven or in your garage, it can just install an update overnight like your smartphone does. And you just wake up and it says it's been updated and you're happy as a clam. Well, and part of that, too, that's interesting in this news just came out like the week last week, I think, um, where GM is going to be eliminating Apple CarPlay and Android Auto from the 24 Chevy Blazer EV, which is a sort of a panic thing at first because you're like, oh, I don't have those two really convenient features in my vehicle anymore. But part of their strategy is it's going to make them be better able to control what you get in a good way. Not not like they're trying to be the evil empire, though some people might think it, but because things can be updated over the air, because they can do exactly what they want with their car, that theoretically, you're going to have a better experience as a consumer because they can OTA whenever they want. They can give you new features. They can make things more seamless. I don't know how much I am a little nervous about losing Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, honestly, but it is part of the ability to update everything. It's like, well, if we can update it and it's ours, we can make it better whenever we want. I have two thoughts on that. Yes. Number one is that everyone is selling everyone's data. Mm-hmm. You and I had a conversation with an engineer on the Chevy Traverse Drive years ago where yes. he was very uncomfortable when I asked him what data he was going to be keeping on me. He was. Um, <laughs> and, and I don't think he ever talked to me ever again. Um, but it was it was in regards to apps that were being used. And I know a lot of it's blind, blah, blah, blah. They can they can mask it however they want. They're taking your data. They're selling your data. That's how Absolutely. they're making money. It's a revenue stream. Mary Barra over at GM is big on revenue streams, as is as are all CEOs, but she tends to do it a little bit differently than some. I see this as a way of getting data. That's Absolutely. It. I, but also, my other concern, because we all know how good GM software is in the yes. car and how wonderful it is. Like, I'm just like, you're really going to force me to use that? Like, it's, it's, it's just awful. I mean, I get the choice. I get the choice from two points of view, from the business point of view, right? One, it gives us a revenue stream Mm because now we can charge you for a million different things and we have your data. And two, it does give them more control where they can do those OTA updates. Um, They can do that whenever they want. They can make the system better. If there's an issue, they can fix it. That gives them some and where this is the EV, they're starting with it. Then it gives them a little bit more of an ability to tailor the consumer experience uh, to make it better. That's the that's the PR pitch. I don't know that I believe that the initial versions of infotainment systems that came out 
were garbage. I mean, they were so hard to use. They didn't work well. They were, that's why everybody uses Apple CarPlay and Android Auto because it's so much better. Do we trust GM or anybody? I'm, I'm picking on GM because they're the first ones to really back off on something like that. Um, Tesla's never had it. That's different. They've never had it. To have it and then take it away uh, is an interesting proposition. Will they make it better? I really hope so, because I feel like if they make it worse, people are going to be really angry. You have to make it as easy and clear and simple and intuitive as what we use for our, on our phones, or people are going to be not pleased. Absolutely. I agree with you. All right. So that was disruption. Good, bad, negative, positive, all those things all wrapped into one. When we get back from our break, we'll talk about our winners of our World's Greatest Auto Disruptors Awards. And Nicole's going to put me through a number of questions about why we chose what we chose. Okay, here we go. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, welcome back to segment two of Fast Women. We are talking about Newsweek's world's greatest auto disruptors of the year. And it has been my esteemed pleasure over the last year. We gave away six awards for visionary executive R&D, powertrain, marketing, and design of the year. This year, there are nine awards. We added technology, sustainability, and legacy. So you have nine awards. That's a lot of awards. How do you decide who wins? Like, what's the criteria? Do people vote? Do people nominate? How do we figure this out? So last year, we asked automakers to nominate people because it was our first year. We wanted to see how that worked. And we found that the automakers were nominating people, but like not all automakers nominated people. And we felt like this year, we wanted to make sure that everyone was considered. So uh, the editorial team over at our autos department at Newsweek spent a fair number of hours going through like every automaker press release over the last year, doing our own internal research based on kind of the ideas that we had in our head of who might be a good fit for this. And we came up with a list of nominees for every single category. And from there, we sat down and really discussed it. Like we had some really good positive conversations about, you know, here, here's the good, the bad, the ugly about each of these and about where this is going. And the biggest thing for us is that it has to be actionable change it, and disruption. Like it can't just be disruption for disruption's sake. It has to be that their disruption has led to a positive impact, um, whether or not they're doing it for decision making or corporate strategy Um all these things all together, not just for like publicity. So if that makes sense. Like that, that we wanted it sense. to really make, really be impactful. Okay. Who won and why? Like, let's start off with visionary. Okay. So visionary of the year this year is the chairman of BMW AG, Oliver Zipsa. Cue applause. Woo! Okay. <laughs> and he is actually on the cover of Newsweek. We have two covers this year for this special edition that we have. Um, and Oliver's on one of them. He is the one that looks like the German James Bond, if you're looking at the difference between this cover and the other one. Um, <laughs> I like that. I, I say that. He, he, it's a great cover. It's a great photo of him, but he looks like the German James Bond. So, <laughs> so we chose him as a visionary because we wanted to look at, at these people who were doing these things that weren't just looking at the road today. They're looking at the road ahead and perhaps the road that's in the mist in the distance that the rest of us can't see. And these automakers are having to make decisions that impact 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the road. And we really feel like Mr. Zipsa is really doing that. And kind of the core of what he's doing there, the things he's instituted at BMW AG is the circularity of manufacturing. 
So you've got automakers that talk about we're going to have electric powertrains. You have automakers that say, hey, our plant in Tennessee is powered by wind or our plant in Mexico is powered by wind. Um, but he's really putting all those pieces together where it comes to reducing, reusing, recycling, you know, taking. He wants to have this circularity of manufacturing where things you, you're not bringing in more raw materials. Like these raw materials are reduced, reused and put back into new vehicles. And, and that's the basis for what they're doing, whether it's the digitization part of what they're doing or the electrification part. Or, or you know, this, they're just doing some really cool concept vehicles, like vehicles that don't have paint on them. That they're doing like a natural patina to them that works, that actually brings out a color. Oh, cool. They had this one they did at IAA like two years ago. Yeah, that was just so cool. And then they've got this this new electronic paint that they debuted at CES um, that can actually put patterns on a car. And these are real things that they're actually working on to implement into vehicles. And it's just, it's so outside the box and it is disruptive mm-hmm. in ways that are really cool. And you're going to start seeing this, these, these interiors that they've made to be more like sofas and living spaces. Like they had a mini concept that had a tree growing in the middle of it. Wait, like and had it, a like, tree like, growing like, in the middle of it? <laughs> you're driving with a tree in your car? Yes, they're driving with a tree in your car. It was not like a. Ju- it was like a sequoia. I'm like, it I'm was like, like, I'm a like small how small tree. Drive a bridge with sequoia in your car, like. <laughs> No, no, no. This was very much like, in, I think it was like a mini bus concept. Okay. Like a, like, the, like a VW bus, but a mini bus. But it was, it's these very cool, like these, these things that, you know, Hyundai talks a lot about this and Hyundai had our visionary of the year last year in Sunchung. But this year, like they're taking it a step further than Hyundai is. Hyundai's giving us a lot of renderings mm-hmm. and a lot of robotics and things like that. Zips is putting this in action. We are seeing these cars. We're seeing the impact of the material sustainability that they have being brought into cars today. And these cars that we know are coming up as they move toward the Noya Classa, which is is this whole new class of electrified vehicles that are coming up, launching in 2025. He and his team are pushing this just further, farther, faster, um, and with a very clear vision of the future for them, even though it might not be clear to us because internal documents, confidential. Yes. But <laughs> I do feel like the things that we know about are very re- a very big reason to get excited for what the BMW Group is doing in the future. And just to clarify, BMW Group is BMW. BMW Motorrad, which is their motorcycle division, Mini and Rolls Royce. Okay. So it's all those brands together. He runs all of those. All right. And so he's a very important he's man. He's a very important person. So what about uh, our design winner? Tell uh, how do we pick our design winner? So our design winner, one of the things that that our team looked at is we didn't just look at the designs that are made. We looked at what is behind those designs? Because uh, there's really cool new cars. Like you and I have talked about how the Ionic 5 is a really cool new car. Right. Ionic 6 looks completely different. But there's also like Bronco looks cool. And some of the reasoning behind why Bronco looks the way it looks is really cool. But we want to look at what is propelling design forward. Last year's winner had this cadence that they were pushing you know, forward a new model every two to three months. That's hugely disruptive. This year, we want to look at how concept cars are changing the market and how you're not just creating a concept car because it looks pretty or looks cool or is different, but because that's actually a real true pavement to the road ahead, mm-hmm. not just like something really cool. And there's one brand that is doing that time and time again, and that is Hyundai Motor Group. And so our designer of the year this year is Luke Donkervolke, who is the chief creative officer of Genesis and the president of Hyundai Motor Group. Okay. And what did they do and to so, win? So looking at, I, you and I were in LA and we didn't go to the, oh no, you went to the event. I didn't go to the mm-hmm. event. Um, but they revealed the Genesis X series convertible. Yes. And do you remember that was on the beach yes. and it looks so cool. Like it's just this dynamic, beautiful car. That vehicle, that night, in combination with um, some dealer input that had happened about a month earlier, that's when they decided to actually bring that vehicle to market because everybody was so excited oh, wow. about it. Okay. And so looking at those X concepts that Genesis has made, and then also there were some concepts that they have done that for Hyundai Motor Group, um, just for the Hyundai brand, that are really different and really pushing the envelope. Like we've seen some retro things that they've brought out mm-hmm. and stuff like that, that you might not see that car on the road, but you can see it's linked to Ionic 5. You can see it's linked to Ionic 6. Yeah. You can see those definitive lines of design coming from those concept cars to reality. So what it does for me is it makes me excited to be like, okay, what's the next concept car Genesis is going to have, which they're actually unveiling in New York as we speak for this podcast today. Um, Like I'm excited to see it because I'm like, okay, that's going to influence. I'll be able to see the direction of the brand because they clearly show it. And that's kind of what concept cars always have been about Mm -hmm. until recently when they became kind of like bonkers, crazy stuff just because they could. 
Yeah, there is. And now I feel like it's it's a real clear path now. There is a line between like we're trying to showcase something that it's not going to actually come to market just like you see it here on the stage, but we're going to come up with something close to this. It's like based on this as opposed to like, yeah, this but this is never going to come to market in anything like this. You're like, well, then why are you showing this to me? Now this is just like a game. This doesn't count. If it's a concept of something that could be or what you're trying to do, it's a much more interesting vehicle. Yeah, I think it's, it's kind of like the opposite of what Lincoln in this year mm-hmm. at the Pebble Beach Concours. They show that I'm going to say absolutely horrendous looking concept, but (laughs) it was terrible, but they showed it and you're just like, okay, like why even like I understand, but also like, no, I don't have time for this. Yeah. Whereas you look at Genesis and you can see that pathway ahead and it felt like it was disruptive because that approach is so traditional because that's what concept cars always have been. Right. And so that that's how we felt about that. And that's why Luke and the team at Hyundai Motor Group has won that award. Excellent. Uh, next is one, and this this particular award, I it's for the powertrain, and the company that won this one, I'm a huge fan of their powertrain. Who won? Who won? I mean, you just you just mentioned them, Lucid. Yes. Lucid Motors has won, and one of the things that really stand stood out about Lucid, and I was there, um, I'm trying to think, I was there or in the fall, I guess, at their at their headquarters in California, and they showed us like this is the powertrain that Tesla uses in their Model Three, the Model S, and here's what we use, and here's how what you know Hyundai uses, and all this. They had them sitting next to each other, and the Lucid one was so much smaller. And with smaller becomes weight savings, becomes all these other things that go with it. And Mm -hmm. you're like, okay, well, obviously, if it's, you know, I don't know how, I don't remember how many pounds difference it is, but say it's 200 pounds difference. If it's 200 pounds difference, that's a a huge change. And that allows you to have perhaps more battery cells because you've got, you know, less of a power source. So you've got, you know, the electrons flowing, you can have a longer range, all these sorts of things. So Lucid has a smaller engine, engine, smaller motor (laughs) setup which is still just as powerful as what you'll see from other automakers, you will see that they have a longer range than any other automaker. That Lucid Air gets over 500 miles of range. It's which fantastic. Is crazy good. Yep. It is crazy good. And the car drives really well, too. Like, let's just talk about that. It oh is a fantastically gosh. fantastic drive. It is wonderful And then on top of that, on top of that, they are able to get like the Sapphire version of the Lucid Air, which gets just uh, bazonkers horsepower and stuff like that going around Laguna Seca was just amazing to see because you're just like that. That's a good time. And it's like a <laughs> rocket ship because it's quiet. And then you hear the noise come like far after it's gone. But it's just they're doing so much with not so little, but so little. And that's really, really impressive. And so that's really what played into it. We didn't evaluate like how good the car is. We just evaluated the powertrain itself. And we felt that Lucid really hit a home run there. And that's why it wins the Disruptor Powertrain of the Year. Excellent. I agree with that one for sure. And I'm really excited. I don't, you haven't seen the build out of the magazine yet because we're doing this before the magazine has actually been printed. But we actually have a preview image of the Lucid Gravity, which will come out in 2024 as a 2025 model year. It is their new all electric SUV. Nice. And I'm really excited to actually like, yeah, I'm really excited to see what they can do with it because the, like, the picture that they gave us is like recliner seats and like this whole <laughs> glass roof thing. And it just looks really freaking cool. So I'm really excited. If you grab your copy of Newsweek uh, on the stands, you will see the Lucid Gravity. All right. So that's it for that. We will come back for our next segment. We'll talk about more winners. Nicole's going to have more questions for me about I why will. we chose what we chose. And we're going to reminisce about the time I bicycled through a cow pasture. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, we're back and we have more of the winners that from the Auto Disruptors Awards. And the next one that we're going to talk about is R&D. And the winner for R&D was BMW. 
Yes. So I think that's really exciting to me having I, like we all know I'm a B&W fan, but I'm a really big four series fan. And none of the four like the, the four series outside of the I4, they're all great to drive. Like they're all electric vehicle or not electric vehicles. They're they're internal combustion engine vehicles and they are fantastic to drive. The V8s, the turbos like there's just oh, it roars in my soul and it just sets <laughs> it on fire. And I love it. But those aren't the vehicles that are getting the award. Those the vehicles that we we know and love are not the ones getting the award. We are giving the award to BMW because of the i4, because of the i7, and because of the iX, or as I call it in Europe, the iX, which I kind of love that more. But the iX, I want to call it the iX, but I, I, which I guess is the wrong well, combination. I mean, but it looks like X to me. I'm sorry, BMW, you hate me now. It looks like X. Okay, but it doesn't drive like X. It doesn't. And drive I'm specifically like going to call it the i4 and the i7 here. Because the i4 and the i7 are just sublime to drive. They are like getting in the 7 Series and driving the gas powered version of the 7 Series and then driving the i7. You're like, why? Why would anyone choose the gas powered version? And, and BMW makes a phenomenal engine. But why? Why would you do that? In any configuration of an electric, the i7 and the 7 Series make no sense. So <laughs> we felt very strongly about that. But then we also took a look at. Okay, so BMW is making great powertrain stuff with that, but how are they doing it differently? Because we, we if we're going to store them for the powertrain, then that's the other award, right? R&D tells us that part of what a BMW vehicle is, is its DNA and where it comes from. And when you look at something like its direct competitor is a Mercedes vehicle, right? You get into a Mercedes SUV or a, a sedan that is electric and you're like, okay, this is just an electric Mercedes. It There's no passion there. Mm-hmm. And BMW was built around this idea that pe- driving is a passionate experience, especially since about the 1970s, late 70s, early 80s. And looking at what there is out there and you drive it and you're like, yes, this is a BMW. Mm-hmm. And that comes down to the hard work and engineering that R&D folks have put in to not just install a battery pack and motors, but to make the entire drive experience from the handling to the braking and all of that in between a true BMW experience. And that is the reason why they won our R&D Disruptor of the Year Award. Which is a very reasonable reason. That makes sense. So now we're going from... Thank you. I yeah, appreciate I that. Appreciate, good job, Eileen. <laughs> clap, clap. So from R&D... Eileen and, and, and editors. And editors. There's no more than just me. Um, now let's move on to the next one, which is sustainability. Who And this is this is kind of fun because you don't think of this company and sustainability in terms of the cars they have made through history, but tell us who wants sustainability. So uh, if you're a listener of Fast Woman, you'll remember that in last year, I'm going to say in the fall of last year, I took a trip to Italy and I took an electric bike, an electric Ducati bike, and I rode it through a cow pasture. And the reason (laughs) I did that was because it was to trace the route of a biodynamic pipeline that Lamborghini has built that basically takes the excess poo from cows in the area (laughs) and other things and it ferments it and it provides power to their plant and doing so they're able to knock about 80 percent of the actual energy use off of that plant by just basically reusing what the earth has already given us and pushing that energy that methane back into the factory to use now the methane the the factory doesn't smell like poo well, that's it doesn't good. Really smell like anything at all. The surrounding grasslands do, but the but the factory itself does not smell like poo. They also have solar power running there. They are using that as shade to shade the new cars while they're in transition to the ownerships experiences. All that sort of stuff is all together. They're also taking their spare leather and they're crafting that and using it. They're first of all they're taking it. They're giving it to a company that employs local people who are are either disadvantaged or disabled, which is a fantastic situation. They had brought in a lot of people who had immigrated from Ukraine during uh, the beginning of the war. Mm -hmm. And they are building, not building, they're constructing coin purses and wallets and iPad holders and things like that using that same material. So theoretically, you can get a Lamborghini with a yellow interior and you can get the matching keychain wallet and all of that that has the Lamborghini logo emblazoned on it. And then Lamborghini will sell that to you. And just the circularity of that, they're even doing that for carbon fiber. They're recycling carbon fiber, which is not something we talk about, but it's not great for the environment. Right. But they're able to recirculate that throughout their, their lifespan and their stream. And they've got things like their paint is stored in cardboard boxes 
as opposed to giant metal cans because that's better for the environment. They changed out. They're not using large trucks anymore to transport the Urus body panels from, I believe, from Poland to Italy. Instead, they're doing it by rail because though it takes like one extra day or something, it's 85% less emissions. So that's it makes sense for them. So it's stuff like that. They've made some really amazing decisions. And yes, you don't look at Lamborghini cars. Like you don't look at an Aventador and you're like, well, that gets great miles right? per That's gallon. Exactly like it's, you just don't. To what you think you're like, Lamborghini is sustainable. Aren't they like big, powerful engines? But no, there is, there's a lot more to sustainability right. than just the, the car, just the engine. There's more to it. Right. And the other part of that is they are funding research for sustainability. So they have a giant park next to Lamborghini's headquarters and manufacturing facility. And that is where they have experiments about uh, with bees and this oak tree forest that they planted with all these different things. And there was a guy that explained it all to me and it was a lot of information, (laughs) but it's just they have all these things, these wildlife habitats that they're spending money on. And they're trying to see, you know, the impact of all these different university studies, but they're doing it right next to their headquarters. So it allows them to do things like harvest honey. And they have this really highly sought after honey that is available it? to. Try so they honey. sent me home with some. Yeah. I'm not a honey fan, but I am married to a honey fan. And what did your honey and fan say? He's, he's a, my honey fan is a big fan of the Lamborghini <laughs> honey. <laughs> big fan. Like he was like, when can you go back? Yeah, like, go back like, please import honey. more of this. <laughs> yeah. It's very good honey, but it's also just really cool. You're like, I, I actually met the bees who, who whose butts gave us the honey that my husband eats. So it's like that sort of thing. But that's not why they got the award. It's for the larger picture of everything they're doing. And to their credit, Lamborghini is working on more sustainable vehicles as well. They just came out with their first hybrid. They've got some other stuff coming down the pipeline. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot more to it than just what you see on the surface. And I think that is really cool. And that is disruptive because they're doing it in such an in-your-face fashion. And they're doing it for a brand that you don't associate with sustainability. And that is disruptive. That is disruptive. Next disruptor on our list is for marketing. And the marketing winner, this one goes to Genesis. Yes. So I don't know if you have been, but they have this amazing space in Manhattan Mm -hmm. called Genesis House. And one of the cool things that they do now, Lexus had a space that was similar, but Genesis house is much bigger. It's right on the high line, right in the meatpacking district. And it's a combination like restaurant, library, car showroom, C and B scene dining experience. Okay. But it's also like a hangout space, but it's also like, it's like all these things in one. And the cool part is that they're not just taking like this space and putting a car in it. Like, like if you visit, like, I don't know, like a, thing at a mall that's like oh you know kia motors has a mall activation it's right. just like a telluride on a spinner yeah, in the exactly. middle of the mall no that's that's not what this is they're doing things to bring customers they're doing fashion shows that incorporate the vehicle alongside fashion they uh, did a holiday lights display that put these vehicles in these what you would say like traditional almost new york city christmas windows Along the high lines, okay. people can walk by and see them. It incorporates the vehicles. It gets people to know Genesis, the brand, Genesis House. But also, it's just kind of cool. Like, it's a different way to bring out marketing. We think of marketing a lot, I think, as advertising. Or like, hey, we gave money to some charity that's going to help us do whatever. No, this is a completely different kind of on your on your head way to do marketing. And it's working for them. It's a beautiful space. It takes like three months to get a reservation to dine there. I haven't even eaten there um, as anything. I know that they've offered, but I haven't done it yet. Um, but there's a lot of like there's just really cool stuff they're doing in partnership with all these different other players that it's it's a for, it's not a formula, but it is like almost like I'm gonna say like you throw a bunch of uh, stuff into a bowl and mix. It's like a salad. You put it all together, and then like it, it's it's the salad is cohesive and it makes sense. But like otherwise, it's just radishes, or otherwise, it's just carrots, or just lettuce. And <laughs> and Genesis the Genesis salad is very fruitful. It's a salad is it's what I'm trying to say. Salad. I love a good fruit salad. Yeah, it is a complete salad. And Genesis House is kind of like the hub for that. But the way that Genesis the company has activated genesis house to make it this marketing hub that's why they are disruptive and that is why they are a disruptor of the year for marketing excellent and i would agree i think the whole concept of genesis house is really kind of amazing and i love the way they pulled it off so moving on from marketing next up we're going to technology and who's our technology winner eileen it is a division it is the division of ford called ford pro now i don't know how much you know about ford pro i know you were at the 
Detroit Auto Show. Yes. I'm, and we did like the Super Duty preview. I'm familiar with Ford Pro, but go ahead and give the reasons and explain like what Ford Pro is and why. There's a couple of different things that, ha- that go into Ford Pro. One is that it's this all-encompassing technology situation. So it is financing. It is vehicles. It is infrastructure. It is software. It is all of these things together in one spot. So whether you're a small business with two vehicles, a f- you, know, you have a fleet of 10, you have a fleet of 2,000 vehicles, everything that they offer is scalable. Mm-hmm. So you can run your business on this Ford Pro ecosystem and you can use the tools that you subscribe to or that you have within the vehicle itself or within your laptop or your tablet or whatever to manage your fleet. And that, like, coming from a consumer perspective, the average Joe on the street doesn't think that, like, you're like, okay, well, that sounds cool. That's that's really good for them. Fleet managers are like, oh, hell yeah. Right. Like, it's <laughs> a huge deal for them. And, and believe it or not, I mean, there's so many, there's thousands and thousands of fleets. Like, think about the guy who does your landscaping, mm-hmm. how many vehicles that company has. Think about, you know, Coca-Cola, how many fleet vehicles they have. Right. Like, those are, and those are two extreme examples, but, and then there's everything in between. You've got home builders, you've got all that, and all that information is going to be at their fingertips, and you can manage everything from charging time. You can get alerts to say, oh, you actually need this oil changed in this car coming up in three days. You know, it should be about ready, it'll be ready, so you can plan ahead. You're not just relying on, you know, the guy who drives a Super Duty to go, oh yeah, the check oil light's been on for 3,000 miles. <laughs> that sort of stuff. All of that together. Now, I will say this. It's not new technology. It's been around for a couple of years right. now. But we really felt that with the introduction of the Super Duty, the Lightning, F-150 Lightning mm-hmm. uh, pickup production really ramped up and is kind of back at full speed now. And then you also have the uh, E-Transit electric van, which is a big delivery vehicle. We felt like those all are coming to market in market this year. And it's kind of like, okay, all these products, all these solutions, this is the real launch point. It was it felt like it was like like when you open a restaurant and you have like a soft launch. Yes, you have your, you have your soft opening. This year feels like the hard launch of Ford Pro. And that is why it is our technology disruptor of the year. Nice. That's a good reason. Again, good job editorial team at Newsweek. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'll say thank you on behalf of everyone because a lot of work went into this. So that's awesome. I'm glad that you agree. I do. With I that. approve. So, all right. So, when we come back, we'll talk about our executive of the year, which I think will surprise people if they haven't been paying attention. And we'll also talk a little bit about our legacy winner and then why some companies weren't recognized. Okay. Picture this it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So we're back with our final two awards. This is kind of like waiting for the big ones. Like at the end of the Oscars, we get like film of the year at the very end. Uh, so we're going to go with the winner for our executive um, disruptor. Who Who is that? It's somebody that's not Elon Musk, which I know is going to surprise a lot of people. Um, I know shockwaves through the industry, but it's actually somebody who has been pretty vocal about wanting to say that the rest of the industry has it wrong. Mm-hmm. And You know, like I give him a lot of credit for that. And that's why he is our Disruptor Executive Year. That is Akio Toyota, who recently became chairman of Toyota Motor Group. I say recently, it was like three days ago, became chairman of Toyota (laughs) Motor Group after the passing of his father. Mm -hmm. Um, But he has been the CEO of Toyota for 13 years before this. And one of the things he's done is say the world is not ready for an all electric future. Certainly not today and certainly not in the next couple of years. And that has been very contrary. I mean, you can look at Detroit. You see Mary Barra saying, no, we're ready for it. We're going full steam ahead. She made that pronouncement years ago. 
Um, you know, we've got Tesla. Tesla does really well. Lucid's there. I mean, all these companies are really going hard. Hyundai Motor Group is going really hard into it. But Toyota's taking a more measured approach. Well, and something that was interesting, I was just at the first drive for the Toyota Prius Prime and the Corolla Cross Hybrid. And during that presentation, even at that for all of us, they did say, like, we aren't embracing one thing. Like, we don't think that EVs tomorrow is going to be everything. It's going to be a combination of hybrids and all these different things. So instead of going all in on just one technology, they are looking at various technologies. And they make a point of saying that we are not all in with everything being an EV tomorrow morning. It needs we need some time as this all moves forward. And really, most OEMs are not saying that. That's a very controversial thing to say. And I think it's a pretty brave thing to say. I absolutely agree with that. And I think that one of the things that they're also doing is, you know, we talk about EVs being an early adopter hands. Well, that means, I mean, what's that, 10% of the audience? That means there's still 90% of the audience to cater to. Right. And Toyota has a huge audience. They're one of the biggest automakers in the world. And they can't just tell the people in India to shove off because America needs EVs <laughs> or Europe EV needs EVs. Like, that's just not going to happen. And so when you look at the greater interests of a company, you have to look beyond your front door, you have to look beyond your street, beyond your dealership, beyond the world's dealership and really look at the huge global landscape. And Toyota, I think, is doing a really great job of that. I'm not going to say it's the right approach, but it is a disruptive approach. And it's an approach that when you take that step back and you do the 30,000 foot view, it makes a lot of sense. And I think it makes a lot of sense to our listeners, the average consumer who's not caught up in the hype of the EV. Yeah. And I think, you know, and like you said, I don't know that it's the right move to make. But being a disruptor isn't just about being making the right move. It's about being bold and saying, I'm going to follow this path because I see where this path can be the right one to take. And this could change things. And I think it's even if it turns out that maybe it swings more towards EVs, they've still set themselves up as a company to take advantage of whichever direction it goes in various countries, because it isn't just about the United States. It isn't just about Europe. It isn't just about Japan. It's about the entire world. And not every place in the world is ready for electric vehicles. And you can't just force everybody into them so to say like this is a this is a very flexible very fluid situation we have to look at all the options for all the people i am really impressed that they do that and that he's said that it's not just that we're sort of doing this nope we've stated it this is what we're doing and with that they're not just offering gas vehicles there's they've sold enough hybrid vehicles over the last 20 years to be the equivalent of like selling 8.5 million or something like that bevs mm -hmm. like the emissions equivalent of removing those amount of emissions that's not a small thing no. that's not a small thing at all and they continue to ramp up the hybrid and the plug-in hybrid technology like you talked about they're doing things with hydrogen mm -hmm. they're doing these uh you know they're doing robotics and and autonomous vehicles testing and they're looking at they have this the right thing called woven city which is being built and I'm, I'm i'm kind of a nerd out for woven city honestly <laughs> it's at a former toyota production facility and they are building this basically this research hub that their researchers are going to live work play at mm -hmm. and it's going to be it's going to test fuels it's going to test all sorts of things for toyota motor corporation and you know everything that you can think of it's kind of like you know you got the shopping center with apartments above it and coffee shops and stuff. it's like that that's what they're building but they're doing it as an r&d facility and that is really cool but that's something that's happened during um akio toyota's time at toyota as their ceo and so he's just done he's just done some really cool things that are really different and that you don't see anybody else doing and that's disruptive and he's also he's not just doing them he's loud about it yes. you can ask him he's like no i think they're wrong and i can appreciate that for sure yeah, I think that's a large part of it. It's not just sort of this surreptitious under the radar thing. It's like, nope, this is 110% what we're doing. And this is why we're doing it. And this is where we've committed to. This is what we're going to do. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So he's got a long legacy of of his family. I mean, his grandfather, his father, all those people have served in a capacity uh, at Toyota Motor Corporation. And his son is right now in the hierarchy of that company. So there, there's a family legacy there. Yes, but our next our next award actually honors someone who on their own has their own legacy and has established their own legacy within their company. Yes. Um, and so I'm a, I'm a, our disruptor legacy. Uh, it's a legacy of disruption award. So it's not just what's happened this year. It honors somebody who's had this legacy throughout their time um, in the automotive world. We say about 10 years plus because that's how long I feel like anything short of 10 years is not a legacy. That's it's not just very like long. That's, what you've done is your job. Yes, that's that's it's enough time. Yeah. You've been good at your job and done something, but it's not. Not a legacy just yet. No. So so what we have turned to is Torsten Mueller-Otvosch, Otvosh, is the CEO of Rolls-Royce. 
And when you think of Rolls Royce, you think of this, I think most people think of this stodgy company that's been around for 110 years <laughs> that only super, super rich people buy it. Well, that's accurate. And that's, and they're just like, well, I could never afford that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think people, I think people really think that. And, and if you think about, so I just like, okay, if you think about where Rolls Royce was, I'm going to say 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the timeline is about right there, but you think they were joined, they were co-developing with Bentley they were really just kind of cruising along, trying to make cars that had that nameplate still. It used to be something amazing and heralded back in the coach building days. And then it was just cruising along. In comes BMW and swipes up the brand. Mm-hmm. And they looked to Torsten at that time to really make Rolls Royce something. And so he had brought Mini back. You know, many had gone away. Many had come back and made this huge splash when it came back. Right. And it's, I think, still today the way it is because of the three years work he put in at many to make many, you know, this amazing brand revitalization. So he took that energy, went to Rolls Royce and really has crafted over the last you know, decade, decade and a half, mm-hmm. a completely different automaker. If you look at where it was versus where it is today, yeah. there's been a whole variety of new vehicles that have come out. And it's not just that they're making new cars. There is precision engineering. There are powertrains. There is a finery involved that Rolls-Royce did not have before. And it is the modern equivalent of what we used to see 100 years ago from Rolls-Royce. So mm-hmm. they've really taken that legacy of the company and he's built his legacy on that. So he's not only done that with with leading the charge when it comes to these new vehicles, they've got their new Spectre coming out very shortly. It's all they're all electric car. I'm gonna go drive that in June. Um, but they've also they're trying to take like the, if you think of the customer, like the customer was an old man. It was an old white guy <laughs> who owned be like who old who right. owned a phantom, like and he got driven around in his phantom and that was that. Or you had like people who bought it on the used market as it was falling apart. Well, now that he helped bring an Usher and Black Badge which is a blacked out vehicle, basically, in a, in a more performance focused, in a, a sexier Rolls Royce. Mm-hmm. And that has brought down the age people buy Rolls Royce tremendously. Yeah. Like That's the people who buy deal. those vehicles, you get people in their 20s. Yeah. Yeah. People in their 20s are going, I mean, you get, you get new money is coming into Rolls Royce. And not just that, but they said, okay, we've got this new style of ownership. We've got this new, we need a new brand. So they redid the brand. They completely redid all the branding during COVID. They redid their emblem, which that spirit of ecstasy emblem is just like, it's so intrinsic to the it's values beautiful. of that company. Yeah. They redid that. They've gone with creating an app called Whispers. And you can't get the app. You can't activate it unless you have a Rolls Royce. And even then... They offer curated lifestyle experiences and a concierge at your at your service. So it's taking that brand and it's expanding it beyond just the vehicle itself. And on top of that, they've taken their bespoke commissioning. Like you think, okay, well, they used to coach build. They build one-off carriages and things like that. No, this is like building one-off vehicles, mm-hmm. like completely one-off. You're talking price tags of 10, 20, 30, 40 million for these vehicles. Wow. And yeah, it was rumored that the first one they did was for Beyonce and Jay-Z. Wow. And that it had a price tag, I believe, of around thirty million. So, Can like, it's not a small thirty thing. million dollars on a car. Good gravy! I would like to have the money where thirty million dollars on a car seemed like a reasonable purchase. <laughs> I'm just going to put that out in it's the world. Never, if I manifest, it's never that. a reasonable purchase. Even if you do have that much money, it's never a reasonable purchase. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I just feel like I want to. Like, I just want the opportunity to. Should I want to? But it's just. It's one of those things where they've got these new showrooms um, that are popping up that take that experience. Or if you go to Goodwood, their headquarters, and you build a Rolls Royce with their team, and you spec it and all that, you're not able to do that closer to home. And you have that Rolls Royce experience closer to home in the in these city centers, like in Dubai, and the, where they have their customers. There's a larger bespoke process than ever before. Like we joke that nobody buys a base model Rolls right. Royce. Well, they don't. Yeah. If you're you buying don't. a Rolls like Royce, you're, spending- you're not, I mean, your base model, you're going to do something fancy with it because you're spending that kind of money in a car. You might as well make it as customized as you want, you know? Right. And while I'm sure Torsten has had a lot of people helping him along the mm-hmm. way, a lot of really influential people in design and digitization, all that, he has been at the helm. And when he retires, uh, which I understand perhaps is coming up in the very near future, uh-huh. um, he will be able to look back at the brand that he helped create over the last you know, decade, decade and a half. And it's not recognizable from where it was. And that isn't a disruptive accomplishment. And it is a very impressive accomplishment, truly, because you had to change not just the cars. You had to change the audience. You had to change everything about it. Plus, and I don't think this should be underestimated, the powertrain changes we've had here in the last couple of years Mm -hmm. and the engineering and the quality. So it's basically been a wholesale change of the brand. And he has led that the entire way. And that is why he is 
He is our Legacy of Disruption winner this year. There you go. And that's all of them. That's all nine, Eileen. That is all nine. Did you notice if we left anybody out? Oh, uh, did we leave anyone out? Was there someone who you might think might be on the list who's a disruptor, Tesla, or Fisker, and isn't there? Well, okay, so <laughs> so you went to go drive Fisker I did. in Austria. I did. I drove the Fisker. And you were really impressed with I it, did. right? I did. I thought the Fisker Ocean was quite good. Yes. Okay, so here's the thing. While it's good, while like powertrain and, and, and engineering and stuff like that, mm-hmm. we looked at it and we thought, we just don't have enough information. We haven't really driven them. We haven't been in them. We haven't had the experience of them as an editorial team to really make a judgment on Fisker. And I felt like it, maybe next year, maybe they're a candidate next year when we actually get some more time in them and they're on sale in the US. But we just didn't feel like they had enough vehicles on the market and had enough real world experience that we could make a fair judgment. Because that's the other thing. You don't want to just make a snap judgment because we are honoring these people on a world stage. Right. No, that makes sense. So then they, then Fisker could show up on this list maybe next year. It could potentially, assuming right. you've driven the ocean Absolutely. Okay. Well, and not even not even just to drive it, but to actually understand more of the company, to see where they're going, what their plan is, to really get a grasp of the company itself. Okay. Which I feel like right now I just, I, I don't personally feel like I have a grasp. And I know that our editorial team members, when we talked about it, we're just like, we just don't know enough. And it's not for lack of seeking. It's just that there's just not enough out there. There's still too many X factors. Okay, that's fair. With Fisker that we felt weren't answered yet. So, I mean, but if you look at Lucid, like Lucid's been in the market for a while. We knew a lot about their powertrain. It wasn't just that they came out with this new, this new mode system it is tried it is proven it's in vehicles things like that that's that's why they i'm gonna say not that they had a fighting chance but that gave them more leverage okay i guess that makes than sense. somebody like fisker all right that's fair that's very well, thank fair. you yeah. are we gonna talk about the the south african-american in the room yeah uh, yeah let's i think you should talk about okay. it there you go <laughs> you like, i would like you to get I'm the out. twitter hate you have it. <laughs> <laughs> wash my hands of this so here's the thing So we look at Elon Musk. We look at every automaker looking at Elon Musk. A lot of the noise around Elon Musk is disruptive. Mm -hmm. But are the products and is the company itself at this moment in time doing something that is innovative, that is completely different? Mm -hmm. And are they moving the ball so far forward in ways that other people have to stand up and take notice? Mm -hmm. And when we consider the vehicles that are on the market today, the answer was no. Okay. There's nothing that's really changed about them in the past couple of years. It's so amazing. I mean, what are we doing? Removing full self-driving software might be disruptive. I'd be okay <laughs> with that. But that's a totally different, that's a totally different podcast. But um, there's that sort of thing where we didn't feel like that was moving the ball forward. And when we heard their earnings call um, for the last earnings thing, it was very, very light on product and very, very heavy on like putting heating pumps in family homes and diversifying their portfolio. So while that's disruptive, it's not really like, like it's just it's not auto industry right. disruptive. It's almost like that's it, like that's like it's, a, it's overall like Hyundai has department and, stores. Right, it's changing things and going into yeah. a new industry sort of, but it's not like they've moved the ball forward markedly for automotive. Yes, I get that. Right, so that's that's why there is no Elon so, Musk. So, could, Tesla so could on Tesla and Elon Musk maybe make an appearance if they do something amazing? Just like Fisker could make an appearance if their card and their strategy turns out to be amazing. Absolutely. And I will say this. We looked at VinFast as well, which is another company whose vehicle you, you have driven. Yes. We looked at them to see if there was anything they were doing that made sense to honor. And so we did take a look at the larger, I mean, Mullen Automotive, the same thing. We looked at all these companies and really narrowed it down. And it took some like, it wasn't just like, hey, here's my list. What do you think? Let's go with that. Mm-hmm. It was some discussion. And it was, it was, and I love the fact that Newsweek internally promotes discussion. Like we always talk about, we have the freedom to disagree. Well, you know what? There was a lot of disagreement and not because we didn't think the winners were winners, but is this enough? Yeah. Yeah. Is this person the right person? Because we do put a lot of emphasis at Newsweek and to making sure that we have the high quality. We're not going after dollars for this. We're going after making sure we're honoring the right people. And we really want to make sure we were with this list. And I think we do. I stand behind it. Um, I love the editorial. The magazine has turned out tremendously well. Two covers. Akio Toyota is on one cover. Uh, Oliver Zips is on the other cover. Uh, we'll be on newsstands worldwide. Uh, coming up here very shortly. It is the morning of the 4th. I will have it in hand about 10 a.m. I was told. I haven't actually gotten the now. entire thing in hand. I'm very excited. I've been looking at PDFs after PDFs after PDFs for the last few weeks. Um, so I'm really excited to have it in hand. And tonight we will celebrate the disruptors. We are having almost all the winners show up yeah, at One that's World Trade be Center. For, it is. And you are going to host a panel discussion with me that our listeners and here can tune in to watch on YouTube um, via the Newsweek homepage. 
if you go there, you'll see a little auto disruptors hub yeah. that we have going on. Um, we've got all sorts of stuff going on. It's all disruptors this week at Newsweek, and I am so excited for it, and I am so exhausted, and I can't wait to nap when this I know, week is just over. take a nice long nap, Eileen. <laughs> That's all you need to do. <laughs> That's all I need to do. <laughs> all right, well, thank you so much for everybody for listening to us in this special episode of Fast Women. Next, we will be back with your regularly scheduled programming to talk about some cars we've driven cars, lately we've driven we'll talk about some toyotas we'll talk about some mercedes products that have come out we've got a whole we bunch of stuff a for next lot week. of new stuff we'll talk to you then Bye. after being a staple in american media for over 90 years newsweek now brings you an exceptional lineup of podcasts the debate they'll recognize how these policies aren't working they'll feel the pain and they'll change their behavior the josh hammer show restore the principles and the political paradigms of the american founding the crystal knight show just because officers are black doesn't mean that the policing system still isn't inherently racist fast women chevy's actually doing really well and honda's really not wow (laughs) she's like the opposite of most people's perception of them it is the parting shot every year when the new nominations are announced i get this excited nostalgic feeling and it brings out that little kid in me who just loved movies the royal report harry and megan's head of comms has announced they now move forward to their kind of future outside the royal family newsweek podcasts new episodes drop weekly download or listen now at newsweek.com or wherever you get your podcasts one two three four those are numbers but you already knew that If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.